This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name's Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. So, um, like I do every week, I want to send a thank you to Jessica for last week's episode. Um, Jessica has become a very good friend of mine, and you know she listens to the podcast every week. So, Jess, I just want to say thank you so much for doing that interview with me. Um, I sent you a screenshot, one of the listeners who was listening to it, uh, sent me a message and they were like, is she telling my story or am I telling my story? Because somebody related so much to Jess's story. They're like, it's identical. It's just crazy. I'm, I'm really proud of some of these guests that come on this podcast. And, you know, you guys share all your stories in such poignant ways that people can really identify with it. And that's the whole point of this. So again, Jess, thanks so much for doing it. Um, I really do appreciate you. And, uh, you know, I want to say to all you guys, I want to, I'm going to extend a special thank you. So, uh, about a week or two ago, I put a message on Instagram about just certain topics that I want for the podcast. And, um, you know, I, I, when it comes to spirituality, right, I try and uh, something that's very important to me with this podcast is staying out of public controversy in any way. I don't want to discuss politics. I don't want to discuss the intricacies of religion. Um, but I do have some listeners who have reached out to me talking about spirituality and religion. Uh, so I sought out to find somebody who could kind of speak on that. And what I found was a listener suggested that I reach out to the guest that I have on the podcast today who had experience with cults in as it relates to narcissism and spirituality. And I was like, oh, my God. So I got to know this person and I had to bring her on. So you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Um, I want to remind you guys, please follow me on Instagram. It is dimming underscore the underscore gaslight. I'm on TikTok under the same name. I'm on Twitter at Dimming Gaslight. Um, and please, if you like the show, leave a review. Give it five stars. I'm seeing a lot of reviews and ratings come in. I appreciate you guys. And uh, let's keep the momentum going. So um, check out this newest episode. All right, guys. Welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So I have some of the coolest listeners and followers in the world on Instagram, man. I just put up this post and I put like this thing about topics that I want for the podcast. And one of the topics that I want was religion 
and spirituality as it relates to narcissism. And I guess that's all that took because I have somebody that I regularly talk to on Instagram who shot me this message and said, you have to get this person on your podcast. So I'm joined here with Callie Sorensen. Callie, say hello to everybody. Hey, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Callie has an unbelievable story that I cannot wait for you guys to hear. Thank you guys so much for listening to my podcast and helping me connect with her because I have done some research on her story and she's going to get into it with us for a little bit. Um, But this is a gnarly one, Callie. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) So uh, tell us what she, like, where do you want to get started? I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a, I I wanted to do this approach where it wasn't necessarily about Christianity or it wasn't about Judaism or it isn't about Mormonism or Hinduism. I don't want like all that. What I'm trying to do is what does it feel like to be under the influence under spirituality as it relates to narcissism? So how does your story start? Oh my God. Where do I even begin? (laughs) I mean, I guess the thing is, is why do, I guess the first question is kind of what gets people into spirituality. And because I think that is really what the narcissist targets is this vulnerability, right? Because for me, okay, if you want to get back to the beginning of my story, how I got into spirit, I was completely not spiritual my whole life. I, I grew up Christian and I was the type of person in like, you know, Sunday school that was like, what? Like Noah invited two of every animal on this <laughs> boat. Like how the hell did that happen? Or Jesus walked on water. Like, and I was just so curious. I was always questioning And always wondering, and I remember getting made fun of, and like no one could answer my questions. And so I became very adamant against religion from a very young age, because I was just like, I don't fit in. And I was a tomboy growing up. And so I hated wearing dresses. I hated like, you know, wearing your Sunday best. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh. And I was kind of the rebel child. So I kind of like, you know, and this is what made me think I would never fall for a narcissist or get into spiritual cults, which I... Um, little, um, I'm going to break the story, but I got into multiple spiritual cults and multiple Uh narcissist relationships, but I never thought I would because I was always breaking the rules. Like I shaved my head in high school. I was just kind of the rebel child, you know, a little badass, never like, you know, went to school for to college, but then, you know, traveled the world for like the next 15 years. It was like, screw getting a nine to five job, screw getting the two kids and a white picket fence. Like I want to do everything against the norm. So anyways, Long story short, I started traveling the world and I was all about service. I was all about like, I don't know. I just always wanted to, I was really big into volunteering and helping like working at animal shelters and then just started traveling the world. And, and I was just with people and looking and for connecting purpose, with right? people and looking for a purpose of like, okay, well, what is this? Cause I was engaged in college and engaged to in college. And I was like, I don't think I want this life, but what do I want? So I started mm. being like a seeker without even knowing what a seeker was, you know? Yeah, totally. Like I shared on this podcast, like I had a really rough upbringing and it was in my mid twenties. I had realized that I hadn't healed from my upbringing. And I think we get to this point in like our mid twenties where we become, cause you and I are like similar ages and like, we get to this point where we feel like these like pissed off grown up teenagers and like, what do we have to show for it? So we start looking for like purpose in our lives and, and we start like adapting to things. And, you know, if I could have a purpose, what would I do with it? Right. Yeah. Like, I, I totally identify with that. Right. And so that was my life. And I was just like volunteer. I went to central South America and volunteered there. And then I ended up in the Peace Corps in Africa. Wow. And it was actually there that I started my spiritual journey kind of, forcibly. 
How old were you at this point? <laughs> I was 25, I think, when I joined the Peace Corps. And I got yep. stationed in Africa, in Kenya. Wow. And I was a HIV AIDS sex educator for the deaf. Wow. And so I went to, yeah, for the deaf community. So I was in this rural village um, on the outskirts of Mount Kenya. And it was there that I started, you know, I I grew up, well, I grew up in in the Midwest. So I was kind of in this like nice Midwest bubble of like, my parents are really, I had a really good upbringing. My parents are, my dad's like Ned Flanders, like, hey, little buddy. Like, (laughs) exactly. Like, oh, like, oh, Mac, oh, isn't he the best? Like, he's just like the sweetest, sweetest guy. But so I grew up not even knowing that like narcissists or psychopaths existed. Like, I thought everyone was nice, like my, my family and they're all teachers and you know, and yeah. so when I got to Africa, it was kind of like, man, oh, like m- my principal ended up r- raping one of my students and it was on the front page of the newspaper in the Nairobi press. And then I caught some of my teachers sexually abusing my students in the cafeteria. I was living in a boarding school. And so I was I was the only you know female teacher living on the compound. So I was like a mother to these 200 kids. So I'd go and check you know, all the rooms and stuff. And I caught one of the teachers sexually abusing um, the students. And I just had rage, like my mama bear rage came out like no other. And then I tried to take them down and go, you know, tried and they didn't even fire the teacher, like nothing was happening. So I was experiencing all of this rage of like injustice. And I raised money to build um, something in my school. And there was all this corruption. It was just like corruption, sexual abuse, rape, like you know, here you are, here you are in your mid twenties, taking everybody at face value. And you're like, Oh no, there's some fucked up people out here. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, and so then what happened was my, Oh, and then I had, um, a medical check halfway through and then found out I had this abnormal pap smear, which then led to the beginning stages of cervical cancer. So it was kind of like my body, I think, was screaming out. Reacting and my, to the stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my Peace Corps doctor at the time read this article about the body-mind connection and was like, hey, you got to go um, – you know, try out meditation. And I was like, I'm not sitting still. Like, that sounds like hell. <laughs> like, yeah. I am definitely not going to do that. You know, yeah, I was yeah. actually against all of those things. I didn't like anything woo woo. Yeah. And I was very practically minded. But anyways, I got into the, so she gave me like this medical leave to go on this 10 day as the Vipassana retreat where you have to stay in silence, no talking, no reading, no writing. Wow. And it was hell because you have to sit and just be with your pain, like sitting for still, 10 days, for 10 days, no talking, no reading, no writing, no nothing. It sounds like the shining, like you get lost in your head. Yeah. But it was there that I had this huge spiritual experience. Like it was like this outer body experience where I was in so much pain and suffering. And I saw all my mind and all of the rage from all the corruption and all the injustice, like, and you have to just sit with it all and be with it all. And it was like, almost like, I can't even describe it. It was like, I like that feeling, like people talk about oneness or like, you know, it was like this outer body, like imagine an orgasm on steroids, like times a million. It was like that. Like this, it probably only lasted like a few. Now seconds. we're talking. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. So, anyways, this podcast I, is no longer about narcissism or orgasms on steroids. Sorry, sorry. I go off topic. No, that's what we do here. There's no PC. There's no okay. political correctness here. Say whatever the fuck you want. Okay. Okay. But anyways, I was like, that is what started my spiritual journey because I was like, what was that? Like, holy shit, you hear these things of you're not your body, you're not your thoughts. So it was like, 
oh my God, there is something, you know, and for some people, maybe they find it through ayahuasca or, Mm -hmm. you know, a drug trip or something like that, where they, it kind of breaks the illusion of what they know to be true. And that was my first instance. And I also kind of saw through, because Vipassana helps break it down of where suffering comes from. And it was just like all these pieces came together. And I was like, oh, I need to bring this to my students. And oh shit, they're deaf. They can't come here because there's no interpreter. And how do you meditate with an interpreter? Like, how could I sign for them? Could I interpret for So how did you attribute that spirituality? Like, what did it feel like? You felt like there was a bigger picture, there was a bigger purpose, or what did that feel like? Well, yeah, it felt like life, like, whoa, I always knew there was something more to life than just what has been dealt to us, right? Yeah. And so it was just this feeling of like, oh my God, maybe there's an answer to suffering, because I think that's, oh yeah, like, I feel that, like, I think that's what a lot of people go to spirituality or religion. You know, when I say spirituality, I'm I'm talking about all of it, right? Like we normally people go to that once they've had like whether it's a midlife crisis or a divorce or a breakup or like what I went through, you know, with my 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 students. It was like god, there's so much fucking suffering here. Like so how can I find that answer? Did you have some after going through that? Did you, were you like resolute? Did you have some resolution to go out and accomplish? What was it that you you set out to accomplish after experiencing that? I just wanted to end suffering. Like I thought maybe if I could teach people meditation or something, then mm. maybe that could help. Mm. And so I went back to my school and I tried to teach them just some. And I was brand new to this, right? So I don't mm. know anything, but I'm like. I got to do something because there's yeah, yeah. so much suffering in this school, like on this planet, you know, mm-hmm. and ended up, you know, I was going to stay another year, but, um, and the Peace Corps and I ended up leaving and I ended up, you know, I went to Japan first and then went to India and studied yoga and meditation and, uh, wow. all of these things and lived in a monastery in Nepal and just started seeking, like so searching. You, belong, for, you weren't like denominational. You were more so like just, and this is kind of how I feel. My spirituality is I kind of steal things from everywhere and yeah. I apply them to my life. So, you know, you go to India and you experience Hinduism or you go to Israel and experience Judaism and like you go all over and you you experience all this different stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Very and cool. that's how I was. And I was like bouncing around to different countries and cultures and just always open and wanting to learn and that's wanting to see something. Shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And I think that's what made me susceptible to the very first spiritual cult that I got into. Um, because, you know, it was in India. And in India, I don't know, have you ever been there? No, I haven't. But there, it's a very common culture to to worship gurus, to have a guru, and to, you know, believe that people reach the state of enlightenment. You know, you, you walk around and you see these guys in orange robes, homeless on the street, and they're just like in bliss, right? Yeah, and then Gandhi they end up building like, an ashram. Yeah, yeah, they build an ashram around them. So, you know, I think that, and I think because I had been traveling for like, I was over 10 years at that point, I think, you know, it was like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's their yeah. culture. So I didn't yeah. even, and I was very open to learning about cultures and, and knowing our differences and not, you know, mm-hmm. so there's no red flags going off. So I think, being in India and then falling into my first, you know, where these two people claimed to be God incarnate, the divine mother and the divine father. And then, you know, and then it's like, you wear the white robes. (laughs) It was a very difficult thing. culty thing, right? Right. right. But I was like, oh, this is just India, you know, no big deal. But they were claiming to, you know, to be these divine incarnate 
you know, and have all of the answers to life problems. Did you ever, was it, was it ever advised to you to not idolize, you know, non-spiritual entities or anything like that? Like to put those kind of people on a pedestal? Well, I think at that time, because what had happened, I mean, I guess I got a, my story is a bit crazy and all over the place, but (laughs) so how I got into that though, I think why I put them on a pedestal was because I had hit such another kind of dark night of the soul. Mm. I had gone to Bali, was traveling there, and then I entered into a different kind of meditation other than Vipassana. It was kind of like this Kundalini meditation. And I had another outer body kind of spiritual experience Mm -hmm. that then left me completely depressed, suicidal, like rock bottom. And the teacher said, and I went to the teacher and I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, don't worry. Like, you're going to go to the Oneness University in India and you're going to like, you know, you're going to be able to heal all of your depression and all of this anxiety. And I was like, this hurt that you said that you set out to heal and all this purpose that you set out to find. And here it is being promised to you. Yes. Yes. And I was like, you know what they call that? What? Love bombing. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, and I, but I was so depressed and, and I looked up the university and actually I remember reading an article that it was a cult or something, you know, and I remember going back to the teacher and saying something like, hey, I read this sketchy article. They're like, well, and they made a logical argument. Well, if you go on Google or you look up anything, you'll always see bad reviews. Like there's always those Karens or there's always those negative Nancys that are like mm-hmm. going to write negative reviews. I was like, but you know they what? couldn't see it through. They couldn't see it through. Like they didn't understand it. This was this was so. And that's what spiritual narcissists do is this is so high level. We have the ultimate teaching. We have the ultimate answer. And of course, nobody gets it. Wow. Right. Yeah. But you're going to get it because. But I'm going to get it. You're smarter and you're on a higher level. And then they told me that my suffering, my depression, and I was suicidal, like they told me that that was the rocket ship for my growth and evolution. And that's the thing with spirituality is they use these nuggets of truth, you know, because it's true, right? I mean, how do we grow and evolve? Normally when shit hits the fan, like I didn't learn how to speak up for my boundaries until my boundaries got stepped all over, right? I didn't learn a lot of times we like suffering and pain and all of these hardships push us to grow and push us to evolve. So I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, maybe this is a good thing that it's happening. Not realizing, like, shit, it was your meditation and your practices that put me into this, like, completely destroyed my life. Like, I was, you know, really happy before. I was traveling and helping people and, you know, like, (laughs) all of these. Yeah, well, like, you hear from everyone, too, and, like, society tells us that, like, pain is the touchstone to growth. Like, you can't know happy times until you know the bad times. So, Callie, because you're going through the bad times now, the good times are coming, and this is what you're going to learn from it. And this is the bridge into your future and your upper echelon-ness. Yes. You know? Yes. 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 Yeah. So it was kind of at Fuck, this maybe moment. maybe I've been in cults. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, once I woke up, I mean, I didn't even know I was in them until I, like a few years after I got out. I mean – you know, because you hear stories or I mean, all we hear are these extreme stories like the Manson family or these murders or, mm-hmm. you know, Heaven's Gate where they wear Nike shoes and, you know, that was a, worship I UFOs. Or, I remember Heaven's Gate when I was a kid. I remember that. Right. Or you see the Nixium, you know, the, you know like a Nixium, modern day yeah. one like Nixium. And, you know, you see that. Oh, well, I, I wasn't being branded. Like, I don't have a yeah. brand vagina. So like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that like so there's this comparison and there's I think there's always that cognitive dissonance in our mind that's like well you know that compares it's like well not me mine's different this is different yeah so what were some of the teachings you know so you entered in you said it was very stereotypical you got to wear the white and they have this you know uh predisposition to seem like they're the gurus and stuff what were some of the things that you practiced or learned Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> Well, we had to do a lot of rituals um, that were there. We had to go into, um, gosh, let me, I haven't thought about this one because this is this was just the first one that I went into. Um, some of the practices that we did were, and some of them were actually beautiful, like going in to feel the pain that our parents had caused us. And, you know, it was kind of that thing of, um, like we had to do parent processes to go in and feel the pain and the hurt that our parents had caused us. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'd never kind of really thought about that, but how it was done in a way was it started to drive a wedge between me and my family. Cause I was very close with them, mm-hmm. but when they start bringing in these teachings of how they've caused you hurt or how they've caused you pain. And I mean, Hey, we're all human beings and we're not taught how to, you know, hold each other's emotions or meet each other's feelings and needs. So there's, you know, no parent's ever going to be perfect. Like there's always going to be something there. But the way that some of these groups do it is is what they do is they, because how do narcissists thrive, right? I mean, even in, in domestic narcissistic abusive relationships, right? Isolation is one of the key factors. They want to isolate you from your friends and your family. Mm-hmm. They want to cut down your voice. They want you to doubt yourself. They gaslight you to not believe in your reality, right? And so this is what they do. So they start, but they do it in a way where it's like they use the, the and this is what, you know, some of my research, I'm getting my master's right now in the psychology of coercive control. And this is what I'm just so fascinated in is spiritual abuse and psychotherapy cults and how people can use these self-development and these truths or spiritual truths. And then they use them to twist and manipulate and abuse you know, it's amazing. So, you know, going back to the idealization, idealization, you know, I'm seeing such a connection between what you're talking about and my personal situation, because I abandoned my friends. I abandoned my family. I abandoned coworkers that I was friends with. Right. And I made this my end all be all because I wanted that white picket fence idea. I wanted the family. I wanted the kids. I wanted the family that I didn't mm. have when I was a kid. And it kind of correlates to what you're saying because you say like you've had all this suppressed anger and pain and, you know, 
someone's telling you that they can get you to that promised land. And that's how right. I saw my, that's how I saw my next is she was going to get me to my ultimate goal, which was the happy, blissful family that I always wanted. Totally. Yes. And, and, and the difference with the spiritual love bombing, I mean, it's the same pattern. That's what I love about these things. I mean, I hate it about these things, but, I, but what I love is that the underlying pattern is the same, no matter what the story is, whether it's spiritual abuse, whether it's psychotherapy abuse, whether it's, you know, domestic abuse, whatever it is, trafficking gangs, all of it, the underlying patterns of course of control are very much the same. So the love bombing in spiritual communities is, Hey, come and meditate. And then you start Right. And then you get this outer body, outer body like experience. And you're like, man, this feels good. Like that's the addiction instead of the sex. Like it's the it's the high of the breath work or the high of the meditation or the high of whatever that is. But it always starts off with there's something wrong with you that we have to fix. So with me, there's something wrong with me that I didn't have the family that I wanted or the camaraderie that I wanted. And, you know, there's something wrong with you that you feel all this internal pain. And they're going to get you through it. Yes. And then they present as the answer to everything. And they were. And they were. When when we saw them through those rose-colored glasses, they fucking were. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So keep going. So how did you do like inner child work and forgive your parents for things? What are some other stuff that you went to? Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to fast forward to the the big one that I want to talk about. I mean, there's so many. I mean, I'll I'll kind of fast forward because the other thing, what they did to reel me in was I was living in the time at that time in the Philippines and I had a Filipino boyfriend and I was like, we thought we were going to get married and I was going to, you know, live in the Philippines. And there was no trainers for this university of the spiritual teaching in the Philippines. So they said, you are the chosen one to bring this to the Philippines. So I was like, oh, like I have a purpose. And you not know, only that, but you're elevating. You know, yes, you're not- I'm now superior. And that's the thing. Like you're around these people and then you start because right, you're in pain. And it's like, I think all of us want some kind of purpose or want this thing. And so it was like, here's the answer. And I think the thing is, is it's coming from, you know, in a sense, an, an innocent spot because I had been volunteering around the world. And I was like, man, this isn't making enough impact. I wanted to make more of an impact because me in a village, like, yeah, I'm affecting my 200 kids. Like, but I was like, there's got to be something I can do more to help the world. Right. And then it was like, oh, wow. And then they one of the teachings that they said was, what was it? I can't remember the exact number, but they said there is some Indian. I don't know where it came from. Vedic scripture or something that said written in the scripture that said, there's going to be 70,000 or 700, no, 70,000 Kalki warriors that are going to be incarnated on this planet, and they're going to bring about the awakening to the planet. So they told me that I was one of the chosen 70,000 and that I was chosen to wake up. My mission was to wake up all of the Philippines. <laughs> so you're bringing this purpose to a country. Yes. I mean, it sounds insane when I look back. I'm like, I can't believe I believed it. It doesn't sound insane. It sounds so grandiose. And this is what narcissism is. It's so grandiose. And like, but I brought you on here because I knew I was going to fucking relate to this because my next was like a celebrity in her town that could do no wrong. And she grew up in that town and now she's in her forties, but she's been there the whole time. And I call them the Royal family of Pleasantville because they've been there. Her parents have been there for 60 years. And like, she was untouchable. She was wow. unfucking touchable. Did you guys and, have this belief that like you were gonna like 
work together to for like some mission together? Did you guys have kind of that kind of thing going on? Not, not necessarily that, but I was honored to mm. be in her presence. I oh, was wow. honored. I was honored to have this local celebrity as my wife. Wow. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so you're honored to bring this mission to the Philippines. Exactly. Like, how could I say no? So how did that like, go? <laughs> like hell. Because again, <laughs> what I did was, you know, so they have this process and you live for 30 days in at the at the temple at the university and you go through all these insane processes and you go through like a rebirthing process where you have to, they say a lot of the trauma comes from when you're birthing out of the womb. So I had to rebirth out of my mama's womb and like <laughs> go through. I mean, that it, sounds crazy. it was basically like living in a torture chamber because you're in the temple with like, and it's people from How all of the wait, world. Wait, hold on. Let me stop you. Explain <laughs> this. I need, no, no, I need to understand. How do you rebirth from your woman, from your mother's womb? Explain it to me. Oh my God. I haven't talked about this in years. Um, You basically, it was basically, I think, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of us in this massive marble temple in India, laying down in a dark room, playing crazy music. And then they were guiding us through a process, like having us visualize going through a process. And then they were like guiding us to feel the pain and the trauma of like, you know, you're this this amazing light being and then you're you're in the mama's womb and then all of a sudden you're birthed onto this planet that's so dense and dark and then feel the pain and everyone's screaming and crying so it's kind of like this group think mentality where man like i guess i gotta i'm okay i'm starting to feel like i'm crying you know it's kind of like flow of everything and everybody and so i was like going through this rebirthing and yeah i felt traumatized and yeah i felt like i wanted you know what i mean it was like it was insane. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I need to do peyote just to understand. <laughs> it's basically like drug trips without any drugs. Like, I mean. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is bonkers. So, but anyways, they take you through the, and, and again, it's kind of like an abuse cycle now that I'm talking about it because you'd have these massive meditation sessions where you're high and expanded and you're feeling the divinity and they're bringing in, they would give you these like, you know, they'd put their hands on your head and give this a divine transmission where you'd feel love and your heart's opening. And then the next second you're right, devalued, which was like going through the hell and the trauma. So it was like this up, down, up, down, up, down, right? Trauma bonding. Trauma bonding, like an addiction to like the high highs and then the low lows. And but then they built this bliss circle and then you have a built in family, right? A world family, because we're all here to awaken the planet. And there were people from all over the world, interpreters from all over the world being interpreted like their teachings and stuff all over. So it was like it felt like we were together on this big mission together. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But let me ask you this. Did you ever feel like, OK, I just went through a rebirth in a marble temple. <laughs> Did you ever feel like I'm too deep? to pull out now well i was too deep to even know that i had to pull out <laughs> there you go right like you're like I mean, this is the rest of well, my and, life and, and, and so thank you for life. saying that because it's also it's also that <laughs> it's also that i was so depressed because i didn't i don't think i talked about this enough is like the pain that i was in before i said yes to join like i did i actually didn't want to go to this temple for 30 days it costed five grand I went kicking and screaming. I didn't want to go. But because I was suicidal and I was with my ex at the time, 
who was a sweet guy, like, but I was suicidal. And he actually, you know, I, I, I was in Var- Varanasi in India and I was at the top of the building and I was like, I'm going to jump. And luckily he came up at that time and I was at the edge of the building wanting to jump off and he stopped me. And I was like, fuck, I got to do something. He's like, I think you should just go to that, that temple because he said that that will help you. Like, and I was like, yeah, what Shit. do you have to lose? What do I, yeah. Lose, right? I was like, I'm, I'm going to die anyways. Right. Yeah. So, and I had no money cause I've been volunteering in Peace Corps. <laughs> like I've been like a nomad. That's like living well, off here's of the, here's nothing. The thing too. So you're in this situation and although like some of the, some of the things may seem absurd or they may not, but you get to a point where you're like, I know what the alternative is. And the alternative is me being miserable without this. So yeah. I might as well push through even if I'm miserable, because right. the alternative I'm is desperate. misery. I'm desperate. Yeah, I'm desperate. So it's like, I, I'm i all re- like you say, well, I'm in too deep. It's like, I, I was already like just so deep in and so traumatized. And I was like, and then finally going into this temple, because you're in this bliss atmosphere, you're in a, it's kind of like love bombing in a relationship, right? You're in the honeymoon phase. It's like you're in a little love bubble. And the same was the spiritual community. It was like, I was in a little love bubble. And it was like, it felt so good. So it was complete opposite of the suicide. And I was like, and I was suicidal. And then it's all of a sudden, I've got a mission. And now I have a reason to live. And you belong. So why am I going to pull you out? Belonged. Right. Yeah. Why am I going to pull out? You belonged. You were, you, you, you found somewhere you belong. Just like in my relationship, I found like, this is it. This yeah. is what gets me to my goal. Yes. Yeah. Like, and then, and so what do I do? I leave the temple and then, oh my God, I bought a picture. I bought this huge, I bought this huge picture of the God, of the the divine father image. He's like in this big yellow robe with this like Indian beard and I'm like and they said this is the portal to the to the god in the universe and here I am this like white girl from from the Midwest like now worshiping this picture and like and you get to the Philippines and and then like Court, like my, you know my t- telling my boyfriend that now he's like converting to worshiping this image of this indian guy <laughs> like oh my god it sounds crazy should have been like, a straight jacket yeah. instead of a robe i know and i'm like what is going on but i was like dancing i, I should i'll send you the youtube video i made of, of me dancing and happy in india like in my white robe like oh you know with all these people from all over the world <laughs> And anyways, so then I go to the Philippines after that experience and I'm like, yes, I have a mission. I'm going to start. I got trained and I, oh, I stayed another month and spent another few thousand dollars probably to get trained to now bring it to the, to the Philippines. So I get back to the Philippines and it's, again, it's like I stepped out of the love bubble and then what happens? Reality. Back in. Oh, I thought you were going to say get Rea- back in. Well, reality hits of okay. like, now I'm going back into depression because it's like I'm out of that love bubble. Ah. You know, and this is what what I what I think a lot of these spiritual communities do is they make you dependent on them to get those highs, right? So then yeah. you spent I mean for them they, I remember them saying and this is insane. They said I had to go back every single year for 18 years and after the 18 years then I will become a Buddha status like my consciousness will have risen. So I was like I have to go back every single year for a month and spend like five, six grand and like, and then I will be, but they promised pretty much enlightenment. And they even did this thing where they measured your level of consciousness. <laughs> so like they could measure your level of awakening and they gave us all numbers. So it was just like this, it was like, now I'm like, 
they said they could read, you know, the Akashic records and I don't know, it was like written in, you know, and they could tell us. So we all had them and they're like, don't tell anybody your number. Of course, like we all go back to the dorm room and we're like, what's your number? And we're all comparing. And it was like, oh, I'm not good enough. Like I thought my number, I thought my number was going to be like 85 out of 100. And I was like, I don't know, like a 12 or something. Like, so it was like that then also became this tool of like, oh, I got to go back and I got to go raise my consciousness. Like that was another tool that they used to manipulate and to coerce you in order to not be good enough and that you're and not in, enough. And then in my relationship, right, I say, if I just give more, if I just clean more, if I just cook more, if I just go take her out on more on dates, if I just play with the kids more, if I buy more flowers, the more I give, the better it'll get. Yes. There's always that hope, right? That hope, that hope. <laughs> it's going to get better God. one day. Like, and you have that remembrance of the bliss, right? I remember those times in the temple where I, I did feel like I had the answers to the universe or like maybe in your relationship, right? You felt that love for that person and that dream. And it's like, you're always wanting to go back there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said it's an orgasm on steroids. Exactly. I'll tell you for me, sex is Same. blinding too. So when the sex exactly. is really good, you know, like this is your version of sex. This is like, you know, bonding, you're bonding, you're trauma bonding. And you realize when you're out of it and you don't have sex or affection or attention or whatever it is when you don't have that higher learning you go through withdrawals mm-hmm. and you chase it it's like mm-hmm. a, it's a drug addict chasing the high that you just left behind exactly and that's what i was well, it was like yeah and getting out of that situation going back to quote-unquote normal life trying to do like just hitting the reality of being a human it's like you're like you know and you don't realize like my, oh my god i didn't even know at the time my nervous system was addicted to the to the cycles of that of the yeah. abuse of the highs yeah. and the lows and the gaslighting and all of this thing. And I'm not good enough. And I got to keep, like you said, purify myself, get more enlightened. Like I got to raise this number. Like I really, truly want to help the world. Like, <laughs> wow. So you went back, obviously. So I went back to the Philippines, hit another dark night of the soul, wanted to commit suicide again. Were you still um, teaching people? I was still teaching. This is the insane part. And this is what I see in a lot of spiritual communities too. It's like, it's it's just so insane, right? It's like these people who are actually like I was miserable, like I was suicidal, and it was like here I am teaching other like they trained me to teach other people how to become enlightened or like how to awaken. It's just like and you were know? you doubting were you doubting yourself? Were you oh, like yeah. I'm not good enough? Oh, what yeah. the hell am I doing here teaching yeah. these people? Because it's true. Who the yeah. hell am I to teach these people? Like yeah. But, you know, but what else, what else am I to do? Like, I didn't know what else to do. And it's almost like it is. The alternative like, is to kill yourself because you were suicidal. Exactly. 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 <laughs> so you're yeah. back. You're still having, like you said, the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And then um, and, and this is the thing about these spiritual communities is once you're once you get, dip your toe into one, it's almost like it opens up this portal to become involved in a bunch of different ones. Because a person that I had met at the university there and that spiritual university, um, she introduced me to her. She saw me in the university and she's like, oh, you're a medium. You're like this clear channel that can channel these spirits. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I didn't know you. Lady, I, I didn't, didn't know, know you were going to say that right now. How can I do I didn't medium? even know what a medium was. Like, OK, I guess I'm a medium. And that's the thing, right? Like, I never knew that people would just like I never knew to question people, I guess. Like, I think I was just so altruistic or like you know naive that growing up in this like ned flanders family like i never knew to like question people's intentions like so 
I believed her. And then I started meeting with this other spiritual teacher who was in trying to help me through my dark night of the soul. He ended up being a, a, a narcissistic spiritual. I mean, it was awful. Mm-hmm. He was in his 70s, you know, and ended up telling me to break off the engagement with my boyfriend then and move to America. So it was like all this crazy stuff of like controlling where I went because he got downloads from these entities and these other spirits and then like, <laughs> and then told me that his guides were telling me to move to America. And I listened because I have no autonomy. I have, you know, and that's the thing. Like I didn't even know. I mean, I knew how miserable I was, but I had no sense of boundaries. And then even the thing with spirituality is they – because they have all these teachings around oneness. So like they, when we, when we hear teachings around boundaries, it's like, or, or even narcissism, it's like, oh, that's so judgmental. Like, why would you ever call somebody a narcissist yeah, or yeah. boundaries? Like, why would you ever have boundaries? If we are one, there should be no boundary. Like, so they would, they would be able to t- say it in a way where I would believe it. Right. They'd be able to use these, the, again, little nuggets of truth, but then twist it <laughs> Totally. (laughs) Maybe maybe you're like me is like I personally and I still do to this day. And I honestly I kind of like this about myself is I take people at face value. Right. And I I like to think that people have my best interest in mind. So if someone's saying move to America and they're saying break up your engagement, they must see something that I don't see. Yes. Well, and he's talking to these higher realms that can see beyond the human realm. And realms. he's more so, educated like, than I am. Who, you you yes. already have all this self-doubt. You're already saying, I'm a fucking schmuck. So exactly. what do I know? This guy knows more exactly. than me. So you know exactly. what? You're you're the spiritual guru. I, I got to do what you say. I and get I, it. And I had no idea what even cognitive empathy was. You know, that these people that, you know, they don't have true empathy or emotions, you know, and they have all the logic so they can – they read all the books. They have all the wisdom. They can, or they even have a like, way with their words. I'm or sure. pastors, they can memorize the whole Bible and, you know, riff off scripts and pa- passages, like, you know, just t- pull them out and cherry pick teachings in order to fit their self-serving agendas, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they know how to do that. And that's what this teacher did as well. Like, he, he knew exactly what to say and he knew everything about everything. What you do know? you think his ultimate... Um intention was was it money was it influence well, was it preying on young women what was it well it was preying on young boys actually because he ended up uh-huh. there was a guy within our that that spiritual mentor community um who was i think 16 at the time and he was just coming out and realizing that he was gay and was living with his family and his family was not support i think he came out to his parents and his parents were like you know just was were not devastated. So this this young child, 16 years old, 17, you know, comes out and is isolated. And he, I don't know how he met this spiritual mentor because we were all meeting online, and um, and the the teacher who was in his 70s starts grooming this young boy, and guess what? Ends up, you know, as soon as he turns 18, right, legal age, has him move over and gets married to him. And this poor kid is like figuring out his identity. Doesn't even have an yeah, and he's, it's just right, like exactly. isolated from his family. I mean, perfect prey, right? And, but what did I was? I remember thinking at the time, like this is kind of fucked up. Like this is gross. Like there's yeah. this seventy, almost I don't maybe even older. I mean, and this beautiful young child, like you, you know? know, and and the thing is, is they would use these spiritual teachings to be like, well, age does age is just a number. 
love is love, right? And I was like, maybe, and, and that's the thing that I think what kept me in these spiritual cults was they would use these things. And I was like, I love, I'm the type of person that always wants to challenge my beliefs or always is like, right? Like open-minded. open-minded oh, I want to be open-minded and I want to see the best. And like, whoa, maybe this is just a societal conditioning and maybe love is just a number. Like who am I? And I just never wanted to judge anyone. But, but now but, looking back, I'm like, that's, that's actually fucked. That's but, fucked up. Like, <laughs> but think about this, right? And, and, I, this is a complete hypothesis. There's no truth to this whatsoever. But as you're saying this and I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, I'm trying to understand that boy's point of view. Yeah. He just comes out as gay to his parents. His parents are not accepting. He's looking for purpose and he knows his yes. own truth. He knows that he's all gay. alone now, all alone. Now, also he's committed, you know, he's saying he's gay. He's going to double down on that. Right. So although the man is in his 70s, how do I know how many sexual experiences his 17-year-old has had, right? But he's gay, and here's a sexual experience with a man. So and not just with a man, but the the leader of the whole group, right? The hierarchy, yeah. And he is like, got the direct lineage to talk. I mean, to I don't think, people. I think that's just logic. Maybe I'm, you know, I might be connecting dots that aren't there. I can't speak for the kid. I know nothing about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying. Right. And I understand where, where, how that happens. Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing, I mean, even, you know, last year when I started whistleblowing on a different spiritual community that I was in, I started to wake up to all of these fucked up situations that I had been in. And I remember finally calling out that situation and that teacher and I posted a picture of him and I started like, you know, just calling it all out on my Instagram Mm -hmm. because I was just so done with being suppressed because I had always thought it was my fault and I always thought I was the problem and I never knew why I was so anxious and depressed and, you know, why I was so emotional all the time and I always thought it was me. And then when I woke up to just all this mind fuckery that I'd been through, I was like, I just had this epiphany. I was like, I got to like wake up and share this to people because this could really help people to realize that it's not their fault. And when I did and I finally told that story. But how did you wake up? How did you wake up before getting there? How did you wake up? Well, fast forward. I mean, I left that community, joined a few other ones. (laughs) And um, I finally woke up, I think. Gosh, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, it wasn't until actually I was out of all of them. Mm. But how I have did a very you get out? different. But how I have a very out? well. I kind of knew that things were off, and I would always know things were off, and so I'd kind of leave, but then always doubt my gaslight myself. <laughs> I'd always question myself. Like everybody's I, relating to that kinda, right now, right? It's kind of fucked up, but you know what? To each their own. Like maybe it's me. I don't know. Like I like to stay open to be like, I'll, I, you know. <laughs> and it's working for other people. And it's it's everyone else seems to be happy. Like, hey, this kid's getting married and saying yes. Like, I guess he's got a choice. He's eight, you know, not realizing all the grooming and that he doesn't actually. Ha- it's not actually consent, <laughs> like what he's consenting to. But, you know, I was like, I don't know. So it wasn't until after I got out of these things, and then I think my life just hit this breaking point of like I I had walked the Camino de Santiago all across Spain you know, 800 miles, 65 days, I, I walked two different trails and I, I didn't know I was running on all this anxiety. And just afterwards I, I stopped and it was like almost like my whole life just fell apart. And I found actually a really legit um, coach counselor support that I had weekly sessions with. And with him, I felt safe. 
And I just ended up bawling my eyes out and sharing everything. And I don't know, just all the pieces started to come together. And then my nervous system, like, finally revealed itself of, like, we're not okay. Like, you have been living under narcissistic abuse, psychopathic abuse, been in spiritual cults for, like, most of your life. Like, we need to heal from this. And it was when I was healing that I started watching. I was binging YouTube videos and documentaries. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw Seduced the Nixium with India. I saw her story and a few others and just narcissistic abuse stories. And I was like, Oh my God, this is my story. And then I just started voraciously reading about narcissism and cults. And I was like, Oh oh my God. (laughs) Let me me ask you this. When you were in the situation, did anybody around you raise any questions, any red flags? Was anybody going, you know, what do you think about this? No. No. Uh, well, I think I'm, because everyone else around me was in the cult. Like, I was so isolated of just Nobody being in was, spiritual like, communities. You were the only one who was doubting it? In, well, <laughs> in, so in the main one that I've been in, that I've been a main whistleblower for, I was really doubting that one towards the end. But. I did find one person that was also doubting. Right. Okay. But so in that community, he was a spiritual leader, big on YouTube, big on social media platforms where a lot of these people operate now. Um, His main thing was popping through to the absolute, like this enlightened state. So anyways, I, but all these fucked up things were happening. I was in the inner circle, which is a whole nother story we could talk hours about, but, um, but within there, I started to really question things because a lot of stuff was off. And this other woman started to question things. And she said that she had popped through to the absolute, (laughs) that she had become enlightened. So what did I do? And she's like, he's actually full of shit. And he had, we actually confronted him and they were having this battle of the mirrors, like who's more enlightened, which I mean, red flag in and of itself. Like, can you imagine? I don't know. Can you, yeah, can you imagine, like, I don't know. What an enlightenment. Like Dalai like, Lama yeah, and Eckhart Tolle, like, fighting over who's in more enlightened. Like, you know? <laughs> it's, like, fucked up. But anyways, this woman thought that she was more enlightened. And I just was so happy to see somebody else that thought poorly of him, right? So I think I took that as my, my inkling to get out. Nice. So then, but what did I do? I started becoming, I was best friends with her. So me and her started a business together, moved in together, and it was a narcissistic, psychopathic, one-on-one destructive dynamic that was almost even worse in a sense because it was one-on-one all day, every day, without sex, too. So I don't even have the sex part to look look for. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Like where she just continued to devalue me and cut me down. Um, But again, like I thought she was the clear mirror. I thought that she was enlightened. I thought that... Cause she's like, you're too anxious. And I'm like, well, I knew I was anxious. Like help me clear this anxiety. I'm here cause <laughs> I'm uncomfortable and help me. Not realizing. You're oh, I'm, I'm on, one. Right. I'm not realizing. Oh, my anxiety is coming from being completely narcissistically abused every single day, walking on eggshells, being fight around or flight, fight right? or flight. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Similarities are just insane, man. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But I think, you know, what these spiritual narcissists, what they love doing is kind of, you know, any of these narcissists, what are they, what, what, who is their perfect target, you know? And that's why I think spiritual people or religious people or anybody 
<clears throat> kinder, compassionate. Like that's what they target. They want somebody who is kind and forgiving and compassionate. And, you know, it's like they're the perfect target for their supply, for their abuse. Yeah. You know, and I was the perfect supply because I was like, I always took everything within. I always looked at my responsibility and accountability in it. Like I always, you know, wanted to be, you know, compassionate or see it. Oh, there maybe their trauma. Maybe this is their trauma or something like that. You know, it's like yeah. they, they go at they love going after that. And I think that's why a lot of narcissists flock to spirituality. Yeah. Like I listen, I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast and every single person pretty much tells me, listen, like I came in it believing in that fairy tale type of love. And I came into it good intentions, really, truly thinking like, this yeah. is my purpose. This is my thing. Only to, and that's why you're so easily manipulable because, because they know that that's what you want. Yeah. And they know that you're willing to fight for it and you're willing to go to the end of the earth for it. So they're going to keep pushing the envelope. How, and you mentioned the word, um, boundaries before they will keep moving that boundary yep. closer to you to see if you step over that line and you mm-hmm. will how far can time. i push you how yeah. and then and then your boundary you don't realize gets further and further and further and further away and you lose yeah. more and more and more of yourself so here's a good question when you stopped allowing them to cross your boundary how did that go well see i was completely out mm-hmm. when i stopped you know i my situation was different because I completely got out of everything mm-hmm. and then my whole life kind of crashed down and then I woke up to everything and I became unfunctioning. I had I was to say you probably went back to being real, real depressed. Oh, oh, I mean, that doesn't e- I mean, it doesn't even compare to the dark nights of the soul that mm-hmm. I went through before, you know, um, and I actually had to move back in with my parents um, because I couldn't function. I couldn't work. I couldn't hold my clients anymore. I I couldn't do anything. So I took and it probably took a year and a half, I think it was about where I was just in my room, blackout curtains, weighted blanket, and just my whole body would go through convulsion, like panic attacks, shocks. I didn't I couldn't even talk to even my my best friend who I actually interviewed on my podcast. Like um, I couldn't even talk to her. Getting a, a message from anybody would send my whole body into tremors and fear. And I, I couldn't trust anybody or anything. Like even with my parents, like I wouldn't talk to, I you didn't talk to them. You were oh, it is like drug withdrawal. Yeah. I, I used to wake up and I used to like, I, I, I talk about it all the time. The way I compare it is like, I don't know if you ever seen the movie um, life of pie with the kid who gets caught in oh, the robot yeah. with the tiger. I compare it to being lost at sea. Those early mm. withdrawal days for me is like if I close my mind, my, my eyes, I can see in my mind it's a dark, stormy night. You're lost in the ocean. There's thunderstorms everywhere. I'm vomiting. I'm crying. I'm hugging yep. the toilet like I'm drunk. Yes. Um, the One of the worst things and maybe the most embarrassing is I would wake up and I was staying with my father for months and I slept on his pullout couch and I would wake up in the middle of the morning. If I did ever sleep, I would wake up covered in a wet bed. And I'm like, I'm like a middle, you know, 35 years old. And I just peed in the bed. No, it was sweat. It was sweat. Yep. From being oh, in, I lost know that. At sea. I and, know. And, it, yep. and it's disgusting. You wake up soaked like you went swimming mm-hmm. and your body. That's literally the trauma mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. out of your physical trauma coming out of your body. I mean, we've been hit, we've been screamed at, we've been devalued, we've been abused, we've been 
Oh my! Oh my! My I'm, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up talking uh, about it. I mean, and I had bed sores. Yeah. I was developing like physical symptoms, you know, rashes, cysts out of nowhere. I mean, it was insane. I had my wrist. I mean, nobody can see us right now, but my wrist got caught like this. Uh huh. Just my wrist got caught. Really? Like, like tension? Yeah. Tench. Like I couldn't. I couldn't move my arm. It was crazy. Yeah. Ooh man, I haven't thought yeah. about that in a while. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people really talk about just how fucking hard that recovery can be. They go, it's just a breakup. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah, it's just a breakup. You, and the, listen, yeah. Callie, how stupid were you? Okay. You were just in a move on from cult. it. Right. Get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And in the process of coming out of it, you know, after I, after I um, really woke up to what it was, um, I started to slowly talk about it. And post things on Instagram and started, you know, people started reaching out to me. And even, even that process of coming out to share my story, like, was another huge traumatizing thing. Because everyone, I mean, my whole Facebook community, followers, Instagram, everything knew me as this person from before, right? And had this expectation that I should still be that way. And I don't think people realize that when you go through this recovery from narcissistic abuse or a cult or any kinds of these toxic dynamics, you, at least for me, I turned into, I totally changed who I was at my core, right? Cause I wasn't even who I was in these other dynamics. You, I lost myself. And so much of it was just a survival mechanism, right? You put on this identity or this mask. Cause it's like, you don't want to, piss off the narcissist you don't want to trigger them because you'll get cut down and devalued and it was like man I went into total people pleasing mode and you know I was the funny entertainer like I mean if you, all my videos back in the day were all these TikTok videos and funny funny shit that I would post like mm-hmm. all the but time but inside you're dying inside I was dying I mean it was like I remember yeah like even hearing about like Robin Williams story these comedians it was like man I felt that I was like oh I know that feeling and people are like no Kelly you're so positive and you're so loving and you're like you don't know how much I'm dying inside and I couldn't tell anyone because that's the thing it's like uh, what kills me is we don't know how to just be with somebody in their pain you know that's what people need is just a safe space to be seen, to be heard, and just to like feel. And that's like every time I would try to reach out for help or try to, you know, and I all this pain and crying and people try to like, you know, and they have good intentions. They want me to improve, but they don't know how to just sit and let me be. And that's they what they like fix the problem. And you right. can't really fix this. This is you got to go through it. Yeah. Right. Like, you just got to feel it and <laughs> allow and the it. Same token. I remember feeling borderline embarrassed that I was this emotional but i had had my children were kidnapped from me uh you know i say it's like being lost at sea i feel like like i just got clocked over the head i had a concussion i was knocked unconscious and i woke up and my whole life was different my whole life that i had just lived for 10 years was gone yeah gone and you know and you had to i mean how was that for you though with your kids too. Cause you had to, did you have your kids when you were going, through, I can't, I'm just thinking about me going through that recovery process. Like at least I didn't have any kids or responsibilities. And, and I thank God I had my parents' house to go back to, to recover. So I didn't have the financial strain, you know, to worry about. I can't even imagine having yes. to work or having kids. Like my heart goes out to these, thank to, you. to yeah. all, all of you guys who yeah. have to, who don't have that 
Well, yep. so I, in the beginning, so the police came to my home. She alleged that I strangled her while she was holding my daughter. Okay. Now, what she doesn't know and why people are listening a lot to this podcast is because my legal justice is coming. We recently had the trial. She um, mm. she perjured herself and she doesn't know it yet, but the evidence is coming. Yes. So it's coming. Trust me. Um, so uh, but those early. So she alleged that and I was investigated by child services. I was not allowed to communicate with my children. I was homeless, sleeping mm. in my car, crashing in my father's pull-out couch, crashing on my friend's floors, and uh, no communication with my children for 42 days. And then uh, about nine months later, she did it again. And I was away from my kids for 59 days this time. Again, all this is bullshit. And that's, you know, kind of why this is so interesting of a podcast is because most people don't have the evidence to prove it, but I created an entire timeline of the lies that it, wow. it, I have pictures, videos, text messages. I wasn't even there. Wow. I was framed. I was framed. So long story short, um, and I have my lawyer on this podcast and she talks about my evidence, like nothing Amazing. I say, nothing I say, I can't back up. But, the, but to answer your question, Dark, you want to talk about dark nights of the soul, man? I've never been in so much pain in my life. Oh, and I've, I've lost and parents. You're... I've lost friends. I've, you know, I've, oh. the, only thing, the closest thing is a death to what I went through. The closest thing oh, is losing yeah. somebody you love. Um, yeah. My kids, they didn't know if I was dead or alive. And I love my children. Oh. My children love me. And they had no idea where I was. They and how no old idea. were they at the time? They were like... At the time, my son was five and my daughter was three. Wow. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it was horrible. So um, still fight my legal battles because wow. she doesn't want to let go. But so anyway, to go back to your story, so you well, can I say can I say one thing she, yeah, first? Sure, sure. Because I think this is another big point that makes a, a little bit of a difference between so <laughs> the difference between or one of the differences between spiritual narcissism and let's say I hate to call it like regular narcissism, but what spirituality does is like like you said, you could prove it because you have the evidence or you have proof. Like you were really lucky to have that. Mm -hmm. I think the really hard thing with spiritual narcissists is you don't have the evidence to prove them wrong. I mean, and I think that's why a lot of narcissists hide behind spirituality is because it's unfalsifiable. Like you can't prove it right, wrong. You can't prove it correct and you can't prove it wrong. And narcissists like, thrive on trying to get you to prove a negative. They they thrive on trying to get you to prove that you didn't strangle me. Well, how am I going to prove that I didn't strangle you? And this is why I hate to say a lot of men lose in court is because we uh, if, if a, or, or a man or woman, it's not about it's not about gender. But, you know, if somebody alleges abuse, most people don't have the evidence to prove it didn't happen. I have actual video evidence to show I oh thank thing. god thank so god. um it's been it's been a journey but um i'm interested to know so you said like this long depression you know bed sores and all this kind of stuff lasted for a year and a half at what point did you kind of pull up your bootstraps and say it's time to start moving forward well it actually came from so i had i had started how did she actually find me i think I posted something about spiritual abuse um, and then I started working with a woman as a client mm -hmm. and supporting her through it. She was like, like I was starting to heal from it and she was like in the depths of it. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeing her and she started telling me about seeing the spiritual cult leader or a spiritual leader on YouTubes and online. And she was rock bottom suicidal. Like, and I think one day I said the name of my leader. 
Mm. And she started crying and she said, that's who I followed too. Wow. And I was in the inner circle. So I think in my head, I thought, well, maybe this was just the inner circle people and the ex-girlfriends because he was polyamorous and doing this to a lot of different women. Like maybe it was just us who were super, super close. So maybe not that many had been affected. But I think hearing her story and having supported her for many weeks and then finding out that he had caused that level of destruction to somebody who was never even she's never even met him in person. It was just over the over the Internet, like over YouTube videos and that like the indoctrination can just happen. Like People, I think, have this idea that a cult you have to be in person or be isolated in some community like it can all happen online. And this is actually what I'm writing my dissertation on is the covert spiritual abuse that happens on, on online platforms. Mm. And anyways, but when I heard her story that it was somehow just her saying, I mean, it was awful just enough, but I think the connection to him, it gave me a fire in my bed. Like my mama bear came out and was like, I'm taking him down. I don't care if I get sued. Like, and I just started whistleblowing and I just was every day. Anyone who's followed me from the beginning, like every day, all day, like probably 10 posts a day stories, dissecting all of his teachings. Um, I, I was interviewed for Rolling Stone magazine and, and whistled wow. through there. It was like all these things. And I was just like nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. So I think it was this fire of wanting, not wanting like, ugh, like not wanting anyone else to have to suffer from that. Like, sure. and as I came out and the more I spoke, I seriously, my inbox was over a hundred people mm-hmm. that reached out that said me too, mm-hmm. you know? That said, me too, me too. And then also um, on a little bit culty, three other people who I hadn't talked to. Like, I thought I was the only one waking up out of this. And I was and then started to whistleblow. Like, I thought I was going to be alone in it. And then at that exact same moment, I shit you not, like they dropped a podcast on a little bit culty and talked about them. Wow. And I was and it was just everything just started. You raise your hand, you go, me. Yeah. And then I reached out to them right away and I was like, I'm joining the team. (laughs) Like, you know, like it felt so good to not be alone in it. And like listening, I mean, their episode on a little bit culty. Oh my God. It's Bentinho Massaro sucks. I think it's called, (laughs) but their episode on a little bit culty just cracked. I don't know. It was just like, it was it was identical. And it was like, I, it, it started to, sh- to crack through like the last bits of that self gaslighting, yeah. you know, cause I was still, I was, I was confident, but I wasn't that confident. You know, I was still yeah, yeah, yeah. like, am I, am I just making this all up? This sounds insane. Like, am I the narcissist? Like, of course we all deal with that <laughs> because you know why? Because we get into these survival modes and we, we like unlearning that stuff is, that's equally traumatizing because like we, right. we have to completely create a new identity to survive in this new world that we are now re-entering. Yeah. You know, but I can say this, I mean, I'm looking at you, nobody can see you, but like right now you're beaming. You have a big <laughs> smile on your face. You're super happy. And isn't it amazing how once we get out and once we yeah. remove ourselves from the situation, uh, you know, I've said this many times, the sky is bluer, oh, the coffee is better. Life, like this it's, is what this I was is looking beautiful. for. Like, oh. It's beautiful, beautiful. 
Everything is so much better when you start living for yourself. And the purpose now that you have is like you said, by any means necessary, I'm going to take these motherfuckers down. Right. And it was like, oh, this is the purpose I've been looking for my whole life, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about this purpose because you yourself have just started a podcast, right? Yes, I just started talk it. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I've been sharing on my Instagram, but you know, it's kind of limited. You get just, just, just like a kind of little bit of nuggets of information. And then I was like, okay, let me do a video. And so then I started making YouTube videos that are kind of short and informational. And I was like, man, something's still missing. And I think it's this conversational aspect, you know, like Mm -hmm. not to have any plan or structure or teach. It's just like just to get on and have these dialogues and have these conversations. And so that's kind of what's what sparked it. And a lot of my followers have been begging me for like a long time. It's so interesting. Started sharing. And so I was like, you know, but I think. Yeah. And it, and it's fascinating because I think it was still a lot of the trauma from the cult of not trusting my voice or afraid to speak my experience. Because, you know, I'm sure, you know, like as as someone who's been through these abusive course of dynamics, you're you don't it's like the whole mind fuckery just comes up and I get scrambled. It was like even even coming on this podcast, I had like a freak out of like, oh, my God, if he asked me about like, I'm not going to understand like there's still parts of my brain that are like trying to unwire and and put the pieces together. So mm-hmm. I think for me, it was like, oh, I want to do this for myself and yeah. I want to do it to help. Cause I think a lot of these experts in the field, like they focus on the education, which is so important. I mean, it's so, 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 so needed, mm-hmm. but I don't hear so many people talking about this deep gritty stuff of like what happened and the yeah. trauma and the pain and yeah. the, you know, and I think that's, uh, no, but I, even when I was researching around the cult or watching cult documentaries, it's like you see these documentaries, but they're confident and then they're chair and telling their story clearly. Mm-hmm. And I remember even being like, fuck, I can't even like if I try to talk about this guy or like, you know, any of these yeah. groups, I'm crying my eyes out. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can't even open up my mouth to to have the words of what to say. But eventually you get to the point where that pain becomes purpose and power exactly and it doesn't matter then right no it's like fucking you know if you don't like it then you shouldn't have done it you know what i mean um what is the name of the podcast that you just started and where can people follow you online um follow me uh it's at callie Sorensen on instagram and youtube and the podcast you can calliesorensen.com has the link to it but it's on uh apple podcast spotify amazon uh, it's called exploring deeper with callie Sorensen. so cool. yeah so listen we're coming to the end of the hour do you have any advice to anybody who's still in the situation looking to get out whether it's a cult whether it's a relationship whatever it may be do you have any words of advice for that person on what the outlook could look be for their future? Oh, it depends on where they are on the journey. Like, so, you know, but what I, I like Let's to say tell they want to get is, out, but they don't know if they have the strength to get out. I would say talk to people who've gotten out, mm-hmm. you know, get a support network of people who will hear you, who will validate your story, who will, just hear your feelings and your needs like and, you know, want to be there for you and trust your freaking inner. I call it the red flag radar. Like it's like trust your inner red flags. Like if something feels fucked up, even if you can't cognitively, logically understand what it is or how or why, just trust that inner like feeling 
Because even for me, like I didn't know, and I still was so messed up in my brain when I got out, but it was like, I, you just got to trust that inner feeling. And it's like finding that, yeah, it's tapping into that. You know what? I don't, I'm, it's almost like you like tapping into like just how bad your situation is. Yeah. Again, it's like that rock bottom is that rocket fuel for growth. Like totally was used against me, but it's true. Like tapping into actually how bad it is. And it's almost like, well, what the fuck do I have to lose? I'm right. already at rock bottom. You know what? Let me get the fuck out. Even if I'm homeless, it's better than where I am now. Like even uh, if I, I could to that. Right. And not, and it's almost like, it's good. You guys like, <laughs> I lost all my friends, all my connections. I was so alone, but yeah. it was the best freaking thing because you get to just start over a clean slate. And you know what the nice thing is? And to me, I've interviewed a lot of people. Nobody, not a single person has come on this podcast and they have never said, man, I regret leaving a narcissist. Right. Not a single <laughs> fucking person has said that. Callie, this has been so much fun doing oh. this interview with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Like she said, you guys can check her out. Her website is calliesorensen.com. Uh, you can check her out. The name of the podcast is what? One more time. Uh, Exploring Deeper. Exploring Deeper with Callie Sorensen. And you can follow her on Instagram and on TikTok. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, on the show. Thanks, <laughs> All right. I appreciate you so much. And uh, until next time, everybody.